1: Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts.
0: Hey, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. Podcasts where I read old books to help you get to sleep, and a proud member of the Airwave Podcast Network. I have got a wonderful, snoozy bedtime story for you tonight. But before we get to tonight's reading, I just want to thank all of our patrons on patreon.com. Danielle Sewell, Liz Brown, Kinsey, Keshwar Khan, and Katya Evans. Thank you all so, so much for donating and being a part of making The Sleepy Podcast. And for anyone who doesn't know, all of these names that I just read are brand new patrons on patreon.com, which is a great site where you can go on and support creators of the work that you like. So if The Sleepy Podcast has helped you get a better night's rest and wake up more refreshed the next day, consider going to patreon.com slash donating even a dollar a month it goes a really long way and when you're a patron you are directly a part of making this show happen so that's patreon.com sleepy radio thank you and as always the music you're hearing is by my good friend james lepkowski and the cover art for sleepy is by gracie Kanan. tonight Uh, As it's January and it's the turn of the new year, I'm going to be reading yet another wonderful story that has just come into the public domain as part of the turning of the new year. And that is The Secret of Chimneys by Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie's stories have been very highly recommended over the last few years, and most of her work has been protected by copyright. Copyright. Uh, for many many years and now I finally get to read her work on the show so tonight The Secret of Chimneys by Agatha Christie and now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it feel yourself melt into your bed get real comfortable Close your eyes. And let me read to you. Chapter One. Anthony Cade signs on. Gentleman Joe. Why, if it isn't old Jimmy McGrath Castle's selector Represented by seven depressed looking females And three perspiring males Looked on with considerable interest Evidently There Mr. Cade had met an old friend They all admired Mr. Cade so much His tall lean figure His suntanned face The light-hearted manner with which he settled disputes and cajoled them all into good temper. This friend of his now, surely rather a peculiar-looking man. About the same height as Mr. Cade, but thick-set and not nearly so good-looking. The sort of man one read about in books who probably kept a saloon. Interesting, though. After all, that was what one came abroad for, to see all these peculiar things one read about in books. Up to now, they had been rather bored with Bulawayo. The sun was unbearably hot. The hotel was uncomfortable. There seemed to be nowhere particular to go until the moment should arrive to motor to the Metapos. very fortunately Mr. Cade had suggested picture postcards there was an excellent supply of picture postcards Anthony Cade and his friend had stepped a little apart what the hell are you doing with this pack of females demanded McGrath starting a harem no this is a castle selector I'm Castle the local castle I mean What the hell made you take on a job like that? A regrettable necessity for cash. I can assure you it doesn't suit my temperament. Jimmy grinned. Never hog for regular work, were you? Anthony ignored this aspersion. However, something will turn up soon, I expect. He remarked, hopefully. He usually does. Jimmy chuckled. If there's any trouble brewing, Anthony Cade is sure to be in it. Sooner or later, I know that, he said. You have an absolute instinct for rows and the nine lives of a cat. When can we have a yarn together? Anthony sighed. I've got to take these cackling hens to see Rose's grave. That's the stuff, said Jimmy approvingly. They'll come back bumped black and blue with the ruts in the road and clamoring for bed to rest the bruises on. Then you and I will have a spot or two and exchange the news. Right. So long, Jimmy. Anthony rejoined the flock. Miss Taylor, the youngest and most skittish of the party, instantly attacked him. Oh, Mr. K, was that an old friend of yours? It was, Miss Taylor, one of the friends of my blameless youth. Miss Taylor giggled. I thought he was such an interesting-looking man. I'll tell him you said so. Oh, Mr. Kate, how can you be so naughty? The very idea. What was that name he called you? Gentleman Joe. Yes, is your name Joe? I thought you knew it was Anthony, Miss Taylor. Oh, go on with you, cried Miss Taylor coquettishly. Anthony had by now well mastered his duties. In addition to making the necessary arrangements of travel, they included soothing down the irritable old gentleman when their dignity was ruffled, seeing that elderly matrons had ample opportunities to buy picture postcards and flirting with everything under a Catholic 40 years of age. The last task was rendered easier for him by the extreme readiness of the ladies in question to read a tender meaning into his most innocent remarks. Miss Taylor returned to the attack. Why does he call you Joe, then? Oh, just because it isn't my name. And why, Gentleman Joe? The same kind of reason. Oh, Mr. Kate," protested Miss Taylor, much distressed. I'm sure you shouldn't say that. Papa was only saying last night what gentlemanly manners you had. Very kind of your father, I'm sure, Miss Taylor. And we are all agree that you are quite the gentleman. I'm overwhelmed. No, I really mean it. Kind hearts are more than coronets, said Anthony vaguely, without a notion of what he meant by the remark. And wishing fervently that it was lunchtime. That's such a beautiful poem, I always think. Do you know much poetry, Mr. Cade? I might recite The boy stood on the burning deck at a pinch. The boy stood on the burning deck once all, but he had fled. That's all I know, but. I can do a bit with action if you like. The boy stood on the burning deck, wash, wash, wash the flames you see once all but he had fled for that bit. I run to and fro like a dog. Miss Taylor screamed with laughter. Oh, do look at Mr. Cade. Isn't he funny? Time for morning tea, said Anthony briskly. Come this way. There's an excellent cafe in the next street. I presume, said Mrs. Caldeca, in her deep voice, that the expense is included in the tour. Morning tea, Mrs. Caldeca, said Anthony, assuming his professional manner is an extra. Disgraceful. Life is full of trials, isn't it? Said Anthony cheerfully. Mrs. Caldicott's eyes gleamed and she remarked with the air of one springing a mine. I suspected as much. In anticipation, I poured off some tea into a jug at breakfast this morning. I can heat that up on the spirit lamp come father Mr. and Mrs. Caldecott sailed off triumphantly to the hotel the lady's back complacent with successful forethought Oh lord muttered Anthony what a lot of funny people it does take to make a world He marshaled the rest of the party in the direction of the cafe. Miss Taylor kept by his side and resumed her catechism. Is it a long time since you saw your friend? Just over seven years. Was it in Africa you knew him? Yes, not this part though. The first time I ever saw Jimmy McGrath. He was all dressed up, ready for the cooking pot. Some of the tribes in the interior are cannibals, you know. We got there just in time. What happened? Very nice, little Shindy. We potted some of the beggars, and the rest took to their heels. Oh, Mr. K, what an adventurous life you must have led. Very peaceful, I assure you. But it was clear that the lady did not believe him. It was about ten o'clock that night when Anthony Cade walked into the small room where Jimmy McGrath was busy manipulating various bottles. Make it strong, James, he implored. I can tell you, I need it. I should think you did my boy I wouldn't take on that job of yours for anything show me another and I'll jump out of it fast enough McGrath poured out his own drink tossed it off with a practiced hand and mixed a second one then he said slowly are you in earnest about that old son about what Chucking this job of yours, if you could get another. Why? You don't mean to say that you've got a job begging. Why don't you grab it yourself? I have grabbed it. But I don't much fancy it. That's why I'm trying to pass it on to you. Anthony became suspicious. What's wrong with it? They haven't engaged you to teach in a Sunday school, have they? Do you think anyone would choose me to teach in a Sunday school? Not if they know you well, certainly. It's a perfectly good job, nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Not in South America by any lucky chance. I've rather got my eye on South America. There's a very tidy little revolution coming off in one of those little republics soon. And... McGrath, grin. You always were keen on revolutions. Anything to be mixed up in a really good row. I feel my talents might be appreciated out there. I tell you, Jimmy... I can be jolly useful in a revolution, to one side or the other. It's better than making an honest living any day. I think I've heard that sentiment from you before, my son. No, the job isn't in South America, it's in England. England, return of hero to his native land after many long years. They can't dun you for bills after seven years, can they, Jimmy? I don't think so. Well, are you on for hearing more about it? I'm on all right. The thing that worries me is why are you not taking it on yourself? I'll tell you, I'm after gold, Anthony far up in the interior. Anthony whistled and looked at him. You've always been after gold, Jimmy. Ever since I knew you. It's your weak spot. Your own particular little hobby. You've followed up more wildcat trails than anyone I know. And in the end I'll strike it. You'll see. Well, everyone has own hobby. Mine's Rouse. Yours is gold. I'll tell you the whole story. I suppose you know all about Herzo Slovakia. Anthony looked up sharply. Herzo Slovakia, he said, with a curious ring in his voice. Yes, know anything about it? There was quite an appreciable pause before Anthony answered. Then, he said slowly. Only what everyone knows. It's one of the Balkan states, isn't it? Principal rivers, unknown. Principal mountains, also unknown, but fairly numerous. Capital, Echarest, population chiefly brigands. Hobby, assassinating kings. And having revolutions, last King Nicholas the Fourth assassinated about seven years ago. Since then, it's been a republic altogether a very likely spa. You might have mentioned before that Herzegolovakia came into it. It doesn't accept indirectly. Anthony gazed at him more in sorrow than in anger. You ought to do something about this, James, he said. Take a correspondence course or something. If you told a story like this in the good old Eastern days, you'd have been hung up by the heels, and best in a dote or something equally unpleasant. Jimmy pursued this course quite unmoved by these strictures. Ever heard of Count Stiptch? Now you're talking, said Anthony. Many people who have never heard of Herzoslovakia would brighten at the mention of Count Stiptich, the grand old man of the Balkans, the greatest statesman of modern times, the biggest villain unhung. The point of view all depends on which newspaper you take in. But sure of this. Count Stiltich will be remembered long after you and I are dust and ashes, James. Every move and counter move in the Near East for the last 20 years has had Count Stiltich at the bottom of it. He's been a dictator, and a patriot, and a statesman, and nobody knows exactly what he has been, except that he's been a perfect king of intrigue. Well... What about him? He was Prime Minister of Herzl Slovakia. That's why I mentioned it first. You've no sense of proportion, Jimmy. Herza Slovakia is of no importance at all compared to Stiltich. I just provided him with a birthplace and a post in public affairs. But I thought he was dead. So he is. He died in Paris about two months ago. What I'm telling you about happened some years ago. The question is, said Anthony, what are you telling me about? Jimmy accepted the rebuke and hastened on. It was like this. I was in Paris just four years ago, to be exact. I was walking along one night, in a rather lonely part, when I saw half a dozen French tufts beating up a respectable-looking old gentleman. I hate a one-sided show, so I promptly butted in and proceeded to beat up the tufts. I guess they'd never been hit really hard before. They melted like snow. Good for you, James, said Anthony softly. I'd like to have seen that scrap. Oh, it was nothing much, said Jimmy modestly. But the old boy was no ungrateful. He'd had a couple, no doubt about that. But he was sober enough to get my name and address out of me. And he came along and thanked me next day. Did the thing in style, too. It was then that I found out. It was Count Stilpich I rescued. He'd got a house by the Bois. Anthony nodded. Yes, Stilpich went to live in Paris after the assassination of King Nicholas. They wanted him to come back and be president later, but he wasn't taking any. He remained sound to his monarchical principles though he was reported to have his finger in all the backstairs pies that went on in the Balkans. Very deep, the late Count Steltich. Nicholas IV was the man who had a funny taste in wives, wasn't he? said Jimmy suddenly. Yes, said Anthony, and it did for him too, poor beggar. She was some little gutter snipe of a musical artiste in Paris, not even suitable for a more alliance. But Nicholas had a frightful crush on her, and she was all out for being a queen. Sounds fantastic, but they managed it somehow. Call for her Countess Popovsky or something and pretended she had Romanov blood in her veins. Nicholas married her in the cathedral at Ecarus with a couple of unwilling archbishops to do the job, and she was crowned as Queen Viraga. Nicholas squared his ministers, and I suppose he thought that was all that mattered, but he forgot to reckon with the populace. They're very aristocratic and reactionary in Urza Slovakia. They like their kings and queens to be the genuine article. There were mutterings and discontent and the usual ruthless oppressions and the final uprising which stormed the palace, murdered the king and queen, and proclaimed a republic. It's been a republic ever since. But things still manage to be pretty lively there, so I've heard. They've assassinated a president or two, just to keep their hand in. But revenants, Ah non moutons. You had got where Count Sttitch was hailing you as his preserver. Yes, well. That was the end of that business? I came back to Africa and never thought of it again until about two weeks ago. I got a queer-looking parcel which had been following me all over the place for the Lord knows how long. I'd seen in a paper that Count Stiltich had recently died in Paris. Well, this parcel contained his memoirs, or reminiscences, or whatever you call the things. There was a note enclosed to the effect that if I delivered the manuscript at a certain firm of publishers in London on or before October 13th, they were instructed to hand me a thousand pounds. A thousand pounds? Did you say a thousand pounds, Jimmy? I did, my son. I hope to God it's not a hoax but not your trust in princes or politicians, as the saying goes. Well, there it is. Owing to the way the manuscript had been following me around, I had no time to lose. It was a pity, all the same. I'd just fixed up this trip to the interior, and I'd set my heart on going. I shan't get such a good chance again. You're incurable, Jimmy. A thousand pounds in the hand is worth a lot of mythical gold. And supposing it's all a hoax. Anyway, here I am, passage book and everything, on the way to Cape Town. And then you blow along. Anthony got up and lit a cigarette. I begin to perceive your drift, James. You go gold hunting as planned, and I collect a thousand pounds for you. How much do I get out of it? What do you say to a quarter? 250 pounds free of income tax, as the saying goes. That's it. Done. And just to make you gnash your teeth, I'll tell you that I would have gone for a hundred. Let me tell you, James McGrath, you won't die in your bed counting up your bank balance. Anyway, it's a deal. It's a deal, all right. I'm on, in confusion the castle selectors. They drank the toast solemnly. Chapter 2. A Lady in Distress So that's that, said Anthony, finishing off his glass and replacing it on the table. What boat were you going on? Granarth Castle. Passage booked in your name, I suppose, so I'd better travel as James McGrath. We've outgrown the passport business, haven't we? No odds either way. You and I are totally alike. And we'd probably have the same description on one of those blinking things. Height, six feet. Hair brown. Eyes blue. Nose ordinary. Chin ordinary. Not so much of this ordinary stun. Let me tell you that Castle selected me out of several applicants solely on the account of my pleasing appearance and nice manners. Jimmy grinned. I noticed your manners this morning. The devil you did. Anthony rose and paced up and down the room. His brow was slightly wrinkled and it was some minutes before he spoke. Jimmy, he said at last. Stiltich died in Paris. What's the point of sending a manuscript from Paris to London via Africa? Jimmy shook his head helplessly. I don't know. Why not do it up in a nice little parcel and send it by post? Sounds a damn sight more sensible, I agree. Of course, continued Anthony. I know that kings and queens and Government officials are prevented by etiquette from doing anything in a simple, straightforward fashion. Hence, king's messengers and all that. In medieval days, you give a fellow a signet ring as sort of an open sesame. The king's ring, pass my lord. And usually it was the other fellow who had stolen it. I always wonder why Some bright lad never hit on the expedient of copying the ring, making a dozen or so, and selling them at a hundred ducats apiece. They seem to have no initiative in the Middle Ages. Jimmy yawned. My remarks on the Middle Ages don't seem to amuse you. Let us get back to Count Stiltich. From France to England, Via Africa seems a bit thick, even for a diplomatic personage. If he merely wanted to ensure that you should get a thousand pounds, he could have left it to you and his will. Thank God neither you nor I are too proud to accept a legacy. Stiltich must have been barmy. You'd think so, wouldn't you? Anthony frowned and continued his pacing. Have you read the thing at all? He asked suddenly. Read what? The manuscript. Good lord, no. What do you think I want to read a thing of that kind for? Anthony smiled. I just wonder, that's all. You know, a lot of trouble has been caused by memoirs. Indiscreet revelations, that sort of thing. People who have been close as an oyster all their lives seem positively to relish causing trouble when they themselves shall be comfortably dead. It gives them a kind of malicious glee. Jimmy, what sort of man was Count Stiltich? You met him and talked to him and you're pretty a good judge of raw human nature. Could you imagine him being a vindictive old devil? Jimmy shook his head. It's difficult to tell, you see. The first night, he was distinctly cant, And the next day, he was just a high-toned old boy with the most beautiful manners, overwhelming me with compliments till I didn't know where to look. And he didn't say anything interesting when he was drunk. Jimmy cast his mind back, wrinkling his brows as he did so. He said he knew where the koh noor was. He volunteered doubtfully. Oh well, said Anthony, we all know that. They keep it in the tower, don't they? Behind thick plate glass and iron bars, with a lot of gentlemen in fancy dress, standing round to see you don't pinch anything. That's right, agreed Jimmy. Did Stiltich say anything else of the same kind? That he knew which city the Wallace Collection was in, for instance? Jimmy shook his head. "Hm," said Anthony. He lit another cigarette, and once more began pacing up and down the room. You never read the papers, I suppose, you heathen, he threw out presently. Not very often, said McGrath simply. They're not about anything that interests me, as a rule. Thank heaven I'm more civilized. There have been several mentions of Herza recently, hints at a royalist restoration. Nicholas IV didn't leave a son, but I don't suppose for a minute that the Oblovitch dynasty is extinct. There are probably shoals of young'uns knocking about, cousins and second cousins and third cousins once removed, so that there wouldn't be any difficulty in finding a king. Not in the least, I should say, replied Jimmy. You know, I don't wonder if they're getting tired of Republican institutions, A full-blooded, virile people like that must find it awfully tame to pot at presidents after being used to kings. And talking of kings, that reminds me of something else Old Stilpitch let out that night. He said he knew the gang that was after him. They were King Victor's people, he said. What? Anthony wheeled around suddenly. A short grin widened on McGrath's face. Just a mite excited, aren't you, Gentleman Joe? He drawled. Don't be an ass, Jimmy. You just said something rather important. He went over to the window and stood there, looking out. Who is this King Victor, anyway? Demanded Jimmy. Another Balkan monarch? No, said Anthony slowly, he isn't that kind of king. What is he then? There was a pause, and then Anthony spoke. He's a crook, Jimmy, the most notorious jewel thief in the world, a fantastic, daring fellow, not to be daunted by anything. King Victor was his nickname that he was known by in Paris, Paris was the headquarters of his gang. They caught him there and put him away for seven years on a minor charge. They couldn't prove the more important things against him. He'll be out soon. Or, he may be out already. Do you think Count Steltich had anything to do with putting him away? Was that why the gang went for him? Out of revenge? I don't know, said Anthony, it doesn't seem likely on the face of it. King Victor never stole the crown jewels of Herzog Slovakia, as far as I've heard. But the whole thing seems rather suggestive, doesn't it? The death of Stiltich, the memoirs, the rumors in the papers, all vague but interesting. And there's a further rumor to the effect that they found oil in Herzog Slovakia. I have a feeling in my bones, James, that people are getting ready to be interested in that unimportant little country. What sort of people? Hebraic people. Financiers and city offices. What are you driving at with all this? Trying to make an easy job difficult, that's all. You can't pretend there's going to be any difficulty in handing over a simple manuscript at a publisher's office no, said Anthony regretfully I don't suppose there'll be anything difficult about that but shall I tell you, James where I propose to go with my 250 pounds South America no, my lad herzo Slovakia I shall stand in with the Republic, I think. Very probably, I shall end up as president. Why not announce yourself as the principal I will avenge and be a king whilst you're about it? No, Jimmy. Kings are for life. Presidents only take on the job for four years or so. It would quite amuse me to govern a kingdom like Herzl for four years. The average for kings is even less, I should say. Interpolated Jimmy. It will probably be a serious temptation to me to embezzle your share of the thousand pounds. You won't want it, you know. When you get back weighed down with nuggets. I'll invest it for you in Herzl oil shares. You know, James, the more I think of it, the more pleased I am with this idea of yours. I should never have thought of Herzogovakia if you hadn't mentioned it. I shall spend one day in London collecting the booty and then away by the Balkan Express. You won't get off quite as fast as that. I didn't mention it before, but I've got another little commission for you. Anthony sank into a chair and eyed him severely. I knew all along you were keeping something dark. This is where the catch comes in. Not a bit. It's just something that's got to be done to help a lady. Once and for all, James, I refuse to be mixed up in your beastly love affairs. It's not a love affair. I've never seen the woman. I'll tell you the whole story. If I've got to listen to one more of your long rambling stories, I shall have to have another drink. His host compiled hospitably with this demand, then began the tale. It was when I was up in Uganda. There was a man there whose life I had saved. If I were you, Jimmy. I should write a short book entitled Lives I Have Saved. This is the second I've heard this evening. Oh, well. I didn't really do anything this time. Just pulled him out of a river. He couldn't swim. Wait a minute. Has this story anything to do with the other businesses? Nothing, whatever. Though, oddly enough, now I remember it. The man was a Herzl We always called him Dutch Pedro, though. Anthony nodded indifferently. Well, the fellow was sort of grateful about it. Hung around. About six months later, he died of fever. I was with him. Last thing, just as he was pegging out, he beckoned me and whispered some excited jargon about a secret. A gold mine, I thought he said shoved an oilskin packet into my hand, which he'd always worn next to his skin. Well, I didn't think much of it at the time. It wasn't until a week afterwards that I opened the packet. Then I was curious. I must confess. I shouldn't have thought that Dutch Pedro would have had the sense to know gold mine when he saw it. But there's no accounting for luck. And at the mere thought of gold... Your heartbeat, pitter-pat, as always. Interrupted, Anthony. I was never so disgusted in my life. Gold mine, indeed. I dare say it may have been a gold mine to him. Do you know what it was? A woman's letters. Yes, a woman's letters, and an English woman at that. That skunk had been blackmailing her and he had the impudence to pass on his dirty bag of tricks to me. I'd like to see your righteous heat, James, but he meant well. You had saved his life. He bequeathed you to a profitable source of raising money. Your high-minded British ideal did not enter his horizon. Well, what the hell was I to do with the thing? Burn him. That's what I thought at first. And then it occurred to me that there would be that poor dame, not knowing they'd been destroyed, and always living in a quake and a dread lest that man should turn up one day. You have more imagination than I gave you credit for, Jimmy, observed Anthony, lighting a cigarette. I admit that the case presented more difficulties than were at first apparent. What about just sending them to her by post? She'd put no date and no address on most of the letters. There was a kind of address on one. Just one word. Chimneys. Anthony paused in the act of blowing out his match, and he dropped it with a quick jerk of the wrist as it burned his finger. Chimneys, he said. That's rather extraordinary. Why, do you know it? It's one of the stately homes of England, my dear James. A place where kings and queens go for weekends and diplomats for gather and diplome. That's one of the reasons why I'm so glad that you're going to England instead of me. You know all these things, said Jimmy simply. A josser like myself from the backwoods of Canada we'll be making all sorts of bloomers. But someone like you, who's been to Eaton and Harrow. Only one of them, said Anthony modestly. will be able to carry it through. Why didn't I send them to her, you say? Well, it seemed to me dangerous. From what I could make out, she seemed to have a jealous husband. Suppose he opened the letter by mistake. Where would the poor dame be then? Or she might be dead. The letters looked as though they'd been written some time. As I figured it out, the only thing was for someone to take them to England and put them into her own hands. Anthony threw away his cigarette and coming across to his friend clapped him affectionately on the back. You're a real knight-errant, Jimmy, he said, and the backwoods of Canada should be proud of you. I shan't do the job half as prettily as you would. You'll take it on, then? Of course. McGrath rose, and going across to a drawer took out a bundle of letters and threw them on the table. Here you are. You'd better have a look at them. Is it necessary? On the whole, I'd rather not. Well, from what you say about this chimney's place, she may have been staying there only. I'd better look through the letters and see if there's any clue as to where she really hangs out. I suppose you're right. They went through the letters carefully, but without finding what they had hoped to find. Anthony gathered them up again, doubtfully. Poor little devil, he remarked. She was scared as Jimmy nodded. Do you think you'll be able to find her all right? He asked anxiously. I won't leave England till I have. You're very concerned about this unknown lady, James. Jimmy ran his finger thoughtfully over the signature. It's a pretty name, he said apologetically. Virginia, Ravel.